Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe, and today joining me as guest co-host in Devendra's absence is senior writer Sam Rutherford. Hey, Sam. Hey, how you doing? Are you already recovered from Samsung? No, I am not, but I am very <laughs> glad that I do not have to kill myself right after this to review a phone that is actually on you. We will talk more about what Samsung unveiled yesterday at its Unpacked event, as well as maybe some of your impressions from having the phone for kind of like maybe 12 hours or less <laughs> at this point, maybe some early impressions uh, from your point of view. We're also going to dive into our review of the Apple HomePod, as well as some news from tech layoff land uh, and more. So uh, this episode is going to be quite a big one. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please make sure to subscribe on your podcast catcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes or again, the podcast platform that you're using. And if you have any thoughts, send them to us, podcast at Engadget.com. We also do a live stream of the recording of this show every Thursday at about 10.30 a.m. Eastern on the Engadget YouTube channel. We take your questions live. This week, for example, we're doing a live demo of the S23 Ultra. It's usually a fun time, so come hang with us. All right, so Sam, you and I did another live stream yesterday, basically watching the Samsung Galaxy Unpacked event together with our YouTube audience, and uh, it, it was an it was an event, right? I mean, it, for it me, sure was. It, it was right. We'll get into the products that were uh, unveiled uh, unveiled uh, um, in a little bit, but I want to kind of take a moment to talk about the event itself, right? Samsung usually does. I think I remember. I don't. I, I strongly remember when they did the um, awesome. Awesome squat event for the Galaxy oh, A. Please don't or something remind me. I know it's one of my favorites. It, honestly, I don't think I've ever had so much secondhand cringe in such a great way. Um, and and last time they did an unpack that I remember anyway, there was like an Emily in Paris sort of a sketch. Yeah, yeah. Th there there was a Downton Abbey tie-in not too Ooh. long ago too. Remember that? Um, I think. Yeah. Uh, That's right. I know uh, they, they keep they Sam keep pushing these these Hollywood not not Hollywood like you know TV series pop culture like entertainment yeah trying to whatever get is whatever is popular at the moment yeah right? yeah yeah like and so so I know they, you were very disappointed that a certain somebody or a group of somebodies didn't show up to, uh, yesterday yeah. One, I mean, there was one year where they did have BTS show off the flip phone, uh, but this year, I mean, despite a tweet showing the silhouette of some kind of band, we did not see any of the BTS boys. So that was kind of disappointing. I also am still more of a Blink than a BTS uh, army person. So uh, not not as bummed as I would have been had Blackpink been teased and not shown up. But yeah, but instead of instead of all of those appearances, this time around, we got Ridley Scott. We also had basically we, we Samsung did an Apple, right? They had a whole segment devoted to like all these big name video or film producers and makers uh, talk about how they used the Galaxy S23 Ultra to shoot like a proper professional film. Um, short short film, by, by the way. And, short film. You know, of course, the, the issue with this short film is that neither of them are out yet. So, you know, they, t they, they did a big, you know, talk and dance about, 
you know, hey, you can use the S23 Ultra with its huge new 200 megapixel camera to shoot, you know, Hollywood level movies, uh, which is great. And but at the same time, we, we've kind of known this. This is not the first time we've had, hey, we've shot a movie on a smartphone. Um, Apple has been trotting this out for a while. It's where you got the exactly. whole shot on iPhone campaign, you know, back in the day. And then now you have shot on Galaxy uh, and then you know, they keep fighting about it. And it's like, OK, that's cool. Um, we get it. We, like, you know, the camera is the big focus for the S23 Ultra. Yeah, I mean, let's use that to kind of get into the phones themselves, right? The Galaxy S23 Ultra, the Galaxy S23 Plus, and the Galaxy S23 were the phones that Samsung unveiled yesterday. And uh, am I right to say the S23 and the S23 Plus were kind of just blah, very boring? I almost would say the same for the Ultra, but... Yeah, I mean, well, especially for the regular S23 and the 23 Plus, they didn't talk about them much at all. They're like... Hey, you know, we we there was a little montage of them like removing the contour cut, you know, design from the camera, yeah. and now we have like which like big deal. Yeah, right. It's like I I mean we we kind of nerd out about like design changes over phones a lot, but like I think most people don't really care. Like you know they think the phone like does it look good or not? Okay, cool. I don't like you know they don't care about the familial lineage of of phone design. Possibly unpopular opinion, but I actually liked the contour cut. I think maybe it added some wobble, perhaps. And I know that you have some sort of idea for <laughs> testing the wobbleness of phones. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I liked it. I thought it was pretty. I don't oh, know. for sure. I mean, I, I thought that gold and blue, uh, so gold and purple like um, color combo they had in the last generation, very mm -hmm. nice. For uh, very. Uh, I just think that like they tried to make a big splash with the whole contour cut design, and people were just like, "What?" Like they don't, they didn't get it. Yeah. And so I think they, you know, Samsung decided to move away from that, which you know that's fine. Uh, yeah. Deepro Nine in the chat also says the second I put a case on my phone, I don't care what it looks like, which is a very good point. And, and it's definitely people. most people. Like I, I know that I'm the weirdo mm -hmm. because I don't like putting cases on my phones, but most people they can't like you know they don't have the security to be able to do that. Life is too risky to to risk to like you know. <laughs> have your phone vulnerable to all sorts of accidents. I know. I mean, these phones are are, are fairly sturdy. I mean, they're all IP68 rated as per previous uh, Galaxy flagships. The main change, as we can... We'll tell you the main change, right, to the S23 and S23 Plus before we move on to focus on the Ultra. Um, these two are the more mainstream-friendly uh, Galaxy flagships. The big change this year, in addition to changing up that rear design um, for the camera housing... Uh, there's new selfie cameras. They're up to 12 megapixels sharp now, up from uh, 10 megapixels megapixels before, um, and come with all of the software improvements that Samsung's introducing as well on the Ultra, like One UI 5.1, some nightography stuff, some improved processing. You've got dual OIS for the uh, front camera, dual pixel autofocus. Uh, but the rear cameras remain unchanged. The screens remain unchanged. The batteries are a little bit bigger, 200 milliamp hours bigger each. They use the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 for Galaxy, uh, which I think we can go into a little bit after as well. Mm -hmm. But I think by and large, those are the main differences from the yeah, S23 like, and you the you know, slight, slightly higher peak brightness at 1750 nits right. across the family, but you know, no, no real change in resolution. Um, so yeah. And, you know, design changes, they all have flat screens now. Um, the yeah. S23 Ultra is, like, slightly more curvy around the edges, but that's about it. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So, not Not a not ton to talk about in terms of, at least, definitely the, the standard S23 and the S23 Plus. But the S23 Ultra, I mean, last year, right? We think about the S22 Ultra. The big thing was that, oh, S Pen is coming. S Pen is coming on board. S this is the new note, blah, blah, blah. This year, it's like, oh, we're good. We're done. Here's a here's a 200 MP camera. Yep, we're gonna that, we're, that we're gonna put like a it. big camera sensor in the back, and we're gonna kind of call it a day. You were telling me yesterday that there's no brand new S Pen features. So yes, it still has the stylus included, and it, yeah, it fits inside the phone. But don't expect much in the way of new features. Um, yeah. And yeah. so really, I guess let's you know let's get into it. Let's talk about like you yeah. know what's going on with this new 200 megapixel sensor. So. Uh, Instead of having the Nona binning, which is the 9 to 1 binning that they had last year, now they've increased the binning. So you still have, a, by default, um, you know, that same 12 megapixel final image, but you can choose between 50 megapixels and that full 200 megapixel sensor image if you really want to see every single pixel. Um, and then, uh, importantly, you know, it still has that 100x space zoom, which is a 10x optical zoom with all the way up to, uh, you know, a plus... 10x digital zoom that's how you get 100x mm -hmm. 
Um, and then, but that that's not the same. And remember, that is on the telephoto uh, camera, which tops out at... Let me double check this at 10 megapixels. 10X? Both the 3X and 10X uh, telephoto lenses or the cameras on the S23 Ultra are 10 megapixels. There's also an ultra wide that's uh, 12 megapixels. But yeah, Sam's right. Uh, the, that's very familiar to last year other than the 200 megapixels. And, and so, I, you know, they're really trying to show off the, I guess, the premium, you know, Hollywood grade quality of the sensor. And, you know, to do that, they also added in some new modes into like the Expert Raw app. So you can do stuff like, you know, there's a new astrophotography mode in the app and there's some new multi-frame mm. processing. And then there's also some, mm. you know, improved uh, a wider OIS so that the sensor can move more within the housing, which gives you a little bit more um, shake reduction Range. when you're, you know, yeah. when you're talking, you know, trying to get that really steady, smooth action um, for photos or videos. Um, and then there's also some improved uh, autofocus. You know, they said that every pixel on the sensor can be used as also a focus pixel. So we should, you know, get a little bit more faster focus. And one, you know, little differentiation between the S23 Ultra and the other two is that it does have a dedicated laser autofocus sensor. Um, so, you know, it does, it really is bringing, you know, all of Samsung's weapons, I guess, to the photo making video shooting process. At the same time, like we we have seen a lot of this stuff before, and it's like you know slight tweaks on existing features. I will say one other thing is, uh, I mean, and I think this is part of the reason they rolled out Ridley Scott and uh, I, blanking on the name of the other uh, producer Hong Jim. or Na Hong Jim that they Jin. that they also yep. had Jin at the um, event, um, but. One other f update, which they do mention in their materials, but I don't know how meaningful it is to most of us. You can now shoot 8K video at up to 30 FPS as opposed to 24 FPS from before, which like Hollywood doesn't even shoot at that frame rate, but cool. Uh, nice to know. Um, and to, to kind of match the 200 megapixel sensor as well as the support for up to 30 FPS at 8K video now, you also have the availability of a one terabyte storage model. Um, look, we just dumped a bunch of specs on all of you. I, I do think though, some of the more interesting things lie outside of the specs, which is in that, Sam, you mentioned they're doubling the storage capacity on yeah, the base. Yeah, so on, on, on most, pretty much across the board, uh, they're doubling base storage from 128 to 256 gigs. So that's just a nice, you know, year over year upgrade. More storage, which is nice because, you know, once again, there is no micro SD slot expandability. Yeah. So I feel like we say goodbye to that now. I, I, I know. I feel like we're never every every year back. people ask like, oh, is like, you know, are they going to bring the micro SD card slot back? No. Uh, almost certainly no. I, I like I, I I love that people are still like optimistic about it, but like after seeing the death of the micro SD card, pretty much across the board, across the phone industry, it's it, they're they're not coming back. I mean, we're also kind of saying goodbye to headphone jacks, aren't we? So it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, so you've had the phone a little bit. I know I had hands on with the Galaxy S twenty three Ultra as well, and I tried out the different uh, resolutions that were available: two hundred MP, fifty MP, and twelve MP. Have you done that in the real world yet? Is that something you can shed some light? I've been, on I've been so playing around with it. it. It's one of those things that's like. The, the 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 first day you get a phone, anybody like you know, it spends so much time like updating and doing background downloads and stuff like that. You don't want to like really, you don't really get a sense of it um, that first day because it's still kind of doing updates in the background. Um, that said, I did play around with the camera for a little bit. It looks a little bit sharper. I haven't moved the uh, photos off the phone to look at it on a monitor because that's yeah. the only way you're gonna see that difference for 200 megapixels. Um, but I think, at least initially, I think I like the default 12 megapixel mode a little bit more because you really have to be in, like, the perfect lighting to really take advantage of that 200 megapixel situation. And you have to be in, like, the right like right situation because, like, you know, if you're just shooting, like, selfies or, like, you know, portraits with 200 megapixels, that might be a little bit weird. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's more for, mm -hmm. like, your landscape shots. Or, like, you know, you're, you're at a ball game. You want to get, like, all the crowd and all that stuff. Yeah. And so you really got to remember that, like, you know, it's not for every situation where you need that two full 200 megapixel sensor. No, I agree with you there. I the, the the one place I tested it on was like a little room in a bowl of lemons. And that's I don't feel like the best kind of example of how to use a 200 megapixel um, sensor. Um, but we, no, we'll be looking forward to your review. Uh, in the meantime, too, the one other thing that I thought stood out during my hands-on with the S23 Ultra was One UI 5.1. I've talked at length about this both on 
the last live stream we did on our hands-on video, which you can watch on the Engadget YouTube channel. And we even made a special like video about One UI 5.1 software features uh, for our TikTok, which by the way, if you haven't followed and you use TikTok, go go follow at Engadget <laughs> on TikTok. Um, we're trying to we're trying to grow our audience. Help, um, but yeah. So so One UI five point one um, will ship on all S twenty threes and also is coming to S twenty twos and older. I think. Um, yep. It will come with. Yep. Yeah, it will come with uh, some additional features that I I thought were very reminiscent of both Material U on the Android thirteen as well as um, iOS sixteen. Uh, and I've told you this. I've even showed you this, Sam. You were there with me when we made the video. So, well, so one mean, of your favorite new features is the image clipper, right? Because, you know, you yeah. got to be able to, you, you, it's one thing to take the selfie, but then you got to be able to send the selfie, right? Yeah, but even like in a funny way, right? Like I don't mind, see, okay, so like I, I know uh, listeners of this podcast will know I've been, I've moved, I moved in August and I'm still not done unpacking, okay? Samsung's unpacked like twice since I've moved, okay? And I haven't unpacked, whatever. But uh, the background of my apartment is still Truly horrendous. It's kind of messy. I've still got garbage bags everywhere. Sure. Um, and when I take a photo <laughs> in my apartment, I always try to blur out the background. Now with something like Image Clipper, I can just long press on, say, me and then drag myself out of the background, put me in like Hawaii or something, like living the white lotus life. Um, so I, I think that's cool. I mean, you're making a sticker. You're not dragging yourself into the background, but you could, right? Samsung's version allows you to drag and drop the sticker into Samsung Notes on which you can then, I guess, throw on a different background or draw like palm trees. And you can, it you. works with a lot of apps because you were dragging it into like the, the Google uh, Messenger app and stuff like that yes. and so you know yeah. it, it is it, you know this is you know something we've seen on apple but you know it's nice to have it uh there's going to be a lot of back and forth as always between the fanboys like oh apple copied them or now samsung copied right. apple um but you know right. it, it, it's a nice feature and it does tie into you know they were saying like some of the portrait modes they're able to better differentiate between different layers so like if you wear glasses you know it's not going to blur out like the inside of your glasses you know which happens every once in a while um, so it, it's definitely a nice handy feature and it's nice to like, you know, you can like, if you're multitasking and you have two different apps open, you can literally just drag and drop from exactly. the photo app in there. So it does make it easier to use. Absolutely. It is. I mean, iOS doesn't support split screen. So this is like one advantage that Samsung has over Apple. Um, I will quickly run through the others because I don't think they're as interesting. You've got focus modes. We've got like customizable lock screens, which have been there. Yes, in some form. But this just looks remarkably like iOS 16's version. Uh, a new smart suggestions widget. You can also create widget stacks now on One UI 5.1. If it all sounds eerily familiar, it's because it is. Uh, you can check out our hands-on video for the details on how those work. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's... It's nice to see. I also enjoy that uh, Samsung uh, had a whole like little clip devoted to a nearby share, uh, which is basically AirDrop for Android and Samsung. And I don't know. I haven't used nearby share as much as I have used AirDrop. That, it, you know it, I, mean? it's, I think it's just the difference between communities because AirDrop has been such a mainstay feature of iOS for so long that like people understand it and like they refute they refer to it. it's like oh i'm just going to airdrop you this thing but i i have never heard, ever heard once people outside of like the the tech community being like yo let me nearby share you this file it's never <laughs> happened um yeah let me use you be it see yeah 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 <laughs> let me ultra white band it over to you um i i, I mean didn't back in the day though android was first to like use uh beam right like yep, nfc yep. based sharing and i like just don't know what happened there it lost steam. I definitely think it's like a fragmentation of the Android kind of ecosystem. Because even mm -hmm. if, even mm -hmm. if you look at other countries, like in Japan, you can like NFC people. They've been able to NFC people's phone numbers to each other just by like tapping their phones together for years. Um, and it's it's never something for whatever reason. It's never something that was like gained momentum here in the U.S. Yeah. I just want to point out Mark Dell in our chat has made a very choice comment. Uh, they go... Samsung has nearby share as in Sherlyn. You, you, this, so, this is uh, just like following up the jokes for you. You, you really you, you started it yesterday and you're like, this is capitalizing on the, the momentum. Oh, Mark's, Mark's on top of it. Yeah. yeah, Mark is super on top of it. Um, but so far, that's all we've got. I mean, we also know uh, this, you know, S23 Ultra uses the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 for Galaxy that was customized together uh, with Qualcomm for uh, Galaxy phones like this. Sam, do you want to tell people what the differences are just to remind yeah, us? Yeah, it's really it's really a small difference. And in testing so far, I haven't noticed anything. Granted, this is one of the first Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 phones that we've 
gotten our hands to ch- uh, a chance to check out. But basically, the Qualcomm, you know, worked with Samsung to create a specialized version of the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 for the Galaxy S23. And the main difference is that the clock speed is just a touch higher. So the base clock speed is 3.2 gigahertz. And then for the Galaxy platform, uh, Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, it's 3.35 uh, gigahertz. So the difference is about 150 megahertz, which is really not a ton. And I'm I'm really struggling to see how much of a difference that's gonna gonna make on day to day use. But you know, we'll yeah. see. I, I I agree with you. I don't think that, you know, clock speeds are a thing that really impact our daily use of a phone, yeah. especially when it's so minimal. Yeah, I mean, just try to think about all the apps that actually truly max out the performance of your phone. And it's like, aside from like a handful of like games, I'm really struggling to think of something that like really taxes anyone's phone um, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, so, okay. Samsung didn't just unveil phones yesterday. We still got a couple of things to talk about. Uh, The Galaxy Book 3 lineup, which allow me, my dear podcast listener or audience member, allow me a little moment to rant here because you know I love to rant when companies do me wrong. (laughs) And Samsung, what the hell? Do you know how many versions of information I received about these laptops? How many times did they tell me? How many models did they initially tell me were coming and were going to be available? And then the screen sizes and the screen aspect ratios were all over the place. Uh, Pause for a minute. I need to tell someone to shut up. Jesus Christ, dude. Like, send everything in one message, Matt! Sorry. So anyway, if you watched our uh, hands-on slash first look video of the Galaxy books and found it a little short, it's just because there's so much conflicting information. We had to edit the video several times after we actually did have it ready and exported and it became just so watered down. I was like, you know what? We're just going to call it a first look. But I did go hands-on with these laptops um, and... Basically, I'm still kind of confused as to what's going to be available. So the Galaxy Book 3, okay, there is a basic version of the Galaxy Book 3. Uh, It is probably the 3360. There is like a non-pro convertible model. Then you step up to the Galaxy Book 3 Pro, which is a clamshell pro model of the laptop. Then there is the Galaxy Book 3 Pro 360, convertible version, blah, blah, blah. And then the Galaxy Book 3 Ultra, which is the star of the show. Um, and also the first time that Samsung is bringing the Ultra branding okay, over to so, his laptop. So I, it, it, you just confused me with your with your rundown. Okay, so so for anyone who is as, as confused as Sherlin, there's five new Galaxy Book models. There's two versions of the Galaxy Book 3, which is a clamshell. There's the 3 and the 3 Pro. And they're available in 14 and 16 in sizes, depending on the model. And then there's two 362-in-1s, and that's the Galaxy Book 3 360 and the 3 360 Pro. And then, obviously, as Sherlin uh, alluded to, there's the kind of new flagship, which is the, the Galaxy Book Ultra. And that's supposed to be their most powerful Galaxy Book ever made. And we'll get into why that's the most powerful in a bit. We also see the pricing and the date of availability that's super different from everything that we've been told on the slide that I just see on our, our um, <laughs> live stream right now. Back, on, back on your how, how Samsung says, has wronged you, Horace. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Samsung. You're telling me now it starts at 2200 when you told me in your email that I have a copy off for a receipt that it starts at 2400 I can't. I, I, sure, thanks. So anyway, hey... It starts somewhere upward of $2,000, the Galaxy Book 3 Ultra, and it'll ship with either a, Intel, a 13th gen Intel Core i7 or Core i9 uh, processor, as well as um, depending on the i7 or i9 version that you choose, you'll get an NVIDIA RTX 4050 or 4070 graphics. And those are extremely powerful, I think, right, for the size and the weight? Yeah, uh, I mean, they're not, they're, they're just a couple steps down from NVIDIA's top of the line um, flat, uh, laptop GPUs. But, you know, a 47 is more than powerful enough to basically play any game on the market, you know, do uh, all sorts of video, photo uh, editing. And so it's definitely like a really nice all-rounder. And I think the thing that impresses me the most is that, you know, you used it and you said it's like it's still a pretty thin laptop. Yeah, it's a 16-inch, you know, display, so it's not, you know, exactly petite, but it's definitely like, you know, it's got a decent amount of horsepower and it's pretty thin for the size, you know, and performance. And, you know, mm-hmm. I like seeing that, especially more laptops with discrete um, GPUs. 
Yeah. I, I wish, you know, in some alternate world that Samsung had made a 14-inch version of this because I would really love a 14-inch thing with a discrete GPU. I, I, w- I would totally be happy with a, a RTX 4050, but, you know, maybe that's just me. I really like 16 inches starting to, like, where, you know, if you're carrying it around for a day, it's yeah. like, you know, oh, am I is my back going to be hurting? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. It's like, it's not quite a chonkster. People, again, people who've listened to the podcast from the past know our scale here, okay? It's a chonkster, honkster, onkster, or stir. Um, and I think on the on the laptop scale, this one's not a chonkster, right? A chonkster is probably like a freaking ROG or Alienware or something. This is more, it's more like an onkster of a machine. But it is, it's got like chonk power, you know? <laughs> okay. So it's an right? onkster with chonkster performance. Yeah, a chongster okay. with ong power. Yeah, oh, you're, let's you're do hurting, that. You're hurting my head. Um, <laughs> we really enjoy hurting your head. Happy, happy Thursday. Um, but okay, so no, this this was a very thin light laptop. I mean, obviously, we need to run benchmarks to know how it performs, and also real world use to see if it heats up a lot, if the fans or if there are fans that were very loudly. But okay, the other thing that's important or or an update from these uh, laptops is that. They have 16 by 10 aspect ratios now, up from 16 by 9 before. And uh, Samsung's managed to redesign its display layer so that some of these, uh, these are mostly AMOLEDs. Only the 360 ones have touch screens. Uh, and basically for the touch versions, they've actually reduced a layer in the panel so that you have less material, I guess. Um, and these are 3K screens. So all told, these are going to look very nice, very similar quality to their uh, smartphone screens. Um, and I guess they're targeting creators and gamers with this stuff. So a good screen is not only just important for those people, but also what Samsung tends to excel at, right? Like what else, what else is going to set them apart in this, uh, very saturated laptop market? Right. And, and they do have 120 Hertz refresh rate. So that's definitely very nice. It's something that you still don't see on a ton of laptops. So, you know, I, I, I get it. I think they're doing the content creator market, right? Um, yeah. it's just, It'll be interesting to see how far that actually penetrates into like actual buyers because, you know, historically Samsung, they've always had their laptop lines, but they haven't just, you know, haven't made the same kind of impact as, you know, some of their other bigger rivals, especially, you know, your Microsofts, obviously Apple's, your Dell's and whatnot. And of all those companies, you gotta say, I gotta say like Samsung's the only one that's still keeping this very MacBook-like design, this kind of boring by now look, which is sad because when Samsung first came back, I think I want to say like three-ish years ago with the Galaxy Book series that are laptops, they made them pretty. They made them like they had a unique design. Again, I will keep talking about the Galaxy Book Flex with the QH, uh, Q, QLED screens, I believe. There were some laptops earlier in the day. Those had nice designs. I don't know what happened, Samsung. Now you're like tapered edges or tapering sides and super slim profile, boring ass colors going after the MacBook. I mean, in fact, a lot of people were saying, right, this is what Samsung's answer to the MacBook Pro 16 inch. It's Yeah, I, I had multiple eh. people ping me yesterday. It's like, is that a MacBook? And I go... Look, I can see why you're saying that, but it's it's definitely not a MacBook. It runs Windows, you know, it it doesn't there's no Mac OS. But I, I definitely see the similarity and I don't blame anyone who would be confused, at least by from the design. Yeah. So what I mean, what else did you like about these laptops, Sam? I, I find that with Samsung burning me and gaslighting me per our um live stream producer Julio was like, that's a screenshot from the event, you know, which is fair enough. Samsung's just I, I just feel so burned from all of that that I don't know that I'm excited about these laptops. Um, I mean, I, like I think in, in general, Samsung definitely, you know, they were they were smart about picking the right components, the right performance, going for that target. You know, we're talking nice, you know, 16 by 10 aspect ratio, AMOLED two extremes, 120 hertz refresh rate. Um, so you know the display is going to look great. You know, mm-hmm. I you have a choice between i7, i9 chips, and 4050 or 47 GPUs. And, you know, you have a decent amount of ports that have Thunderbolt 4, you have a full HDMI. And so I think all, and, you know, relatively thin and light design, maybe the, not the most unique look, but, I, I you know, that's okay. So I, I'm, I'll be curious to, you know, test it out when it actually arrives. Um, mm-hmm. But do you care a little bit about the software at all? Because they did talk about how, oh, if you have a Samsung phone, so seamless, so transfers, so hot. Yeah, I, I just, I have a hard time, like, I, I, you know, my daily driver is a Galaxy Z Fold 4, and it's like, even I have a hard time getting excited for those features just because, 
you know, you really want them to be available on all Windows machines, not just Samsung things. And it's like Samsung just doesn't have the market command to be able to have that like, oh, you really want to get a Galaxy laptop just because you have a Galaxy phone in the same way that you definitely have that pull for Apple uh, iPhones and then the Mac line. Um, I don't know. We'll have to wait till we get in a unit to test, that's for sure. But I will say at this point, it's very hard for me to be like recommending a Samsung laptop over the plethora of other laptop brands out there. So uh, we'll see. Uh, And really quickly, I want to touch on the last thing that Samsung did talk about at Unpacked yesterday before we move on to uh, other parts of the show, which is Samsung invited Qualcomm and Google to take the stage um, and announce a project they're working on to bring XR devices. First of all, before anything, I want to shout out what's up to our boy Hiroshi Lockheimer. We, uh, you know, I I know people from Google listen to this podcast. I just want to be like, hey, tell Hiroshi I said hi. Tell Hiroshi when he showed up, I was like, whoa, cucumbers. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Sam, what did you make of this announcement? Um, I, I feel like this is kind of like them, uh, Samsung working with Google and uh, Qualcomm to kind of plant a flag and be like, hey, we're working on XR stuff too. And I think they're, they're trying to, in some ways, they're trying to get out ahead of the kind of long rumored uh, Apple headset um, before it actually comes out. And I, I think like, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it makes sense. You know, Samsung was, you know, there was really pushing mobile VR back in the day with their Gear VR system, you know. But ultimately, the idea of using your smartphone as a, you know, a device to power XR experiences doesn't make sense. You need your phone to be your phone. Right. It needs to be in your pocket so you can respond to text and stuff like that. And you can't be, like, physically putting it in a device so you can use the display as optics. Um, and so, you know, they didn't say anything about a specific device. They didn't even say if it was going to be more like smart glasses or if it's going to be like actual headset. But they did say that they are working on uh, together to produce some kind of XR experience. You know, theoretically, you'd imagine, hey, Samsung's good at hardware. Let them handle the design and, you know, a lot of the components. Let Google mm-hmm. do its own thing, do the software. Maybe they'll handle a storefront of some sort and then let Qualcomm handle the chip. You know, we see the the... Snapdragon XR2, that's the chip that they use in the MetaQuest Pro and Vive's recent headset. Um, So, you know, the partnership makes a lot of sense, but they, you know, very critically didn't give us pretty much any details about what this device is going to be. Say that, you know, hey, keep an eye out. We got something coming in the works. Don't even know when. Could be next year. Could be uh, maybe late this year. Who knows? Is this, I don't know American terms very well. Is this a definition of showboating? Showboating is usually when you gloat over people after you win. They haven't uh, won. They haven't won anything yet, so it's not even. They haven't done any gloating yet. Okay, they're yeah. just showing. All right. So here's the thing. We talked a lot more about this on our uh, live stream uh, yesterday. Uh, I think we speculated a little bit about what Google brings to the table specifically. We, you know, I mean, we all know about Daydream VR and and how that went. And I don't know if we have a lot of hope for this. I personally also think that this is a very Qualcomm thing to do to come out ahead and say, "Hey, we're." working on this stay tuned and like just try to get as much media and audience attention as it can before anything really happens and then drum up hype which will then lead to disappointment because very often hype stops i mean i think that that's that's very that's very much why they didn't talk about like hey this thing's gonna have like you know six degrees of freedom or it's gonna have like inside out tracking they didn't want to talk about any features in order to like avoid hyping it up too much especially this early exactly so we will have to pay attention to the news uh coming from qualcomm samsung and google to find out more i don't know if we even have a time frame did they say this year or no i don't know probably yeah well done not not vague whatsoever really love events maybe more info at uh uh, google io who knows Yeah, who knows? That'll be actually pretty fun. But in the meantime, Sam, I know you'll be working on the Galaxy S23 Ultra review. We don't have other review units just yet that I know of. So uh, stay tuned. Um, If you want to see Sam's experiences in, I don't know, real time, Sam, will you be sharing any updates or samples anywhere? Uh, You can always follow me on uh, at Sam Rutherford on Twitter. Uh, Hopefully I'll have, you know, some some camera samples to show off uh, while I'm working on a review. But Expect more coverage, uh, you know, sometime next week. All right. Well, we look forward to that. 
This week, we continue the slew of Apple hardware reviews with what I believe is going to be the last one for a while, which is our review of the Apple HomePod, the second generation model. Now, if you recall, uh, in 2021, Apple actually discontinued the original HomePod, uh, keeping the $99 HomePod mini around. But then like, surprise, surprise, they're like, nah, we're good, man. We brought it back. We're like... We're playing God here. We're bringing back things from the dead. Um, so yeah, a couple weeks ago, I believe, or was it a week ago, Apple relaunched the HomePod. And now we've finally been able to um, put it to the test and tell you our thoughts. Billy Steele, our resident audio guru, reviewed it for us. It's on Engadget.com. Uh, TLDR, he liked it, but like wasn't wild by it. Um, the new HomePod costs $300 and it's really more for people who are like super, super tied into the Apple ecosystem. Like for me, this is not really for me. I think a lot of people who have iPhones and have HomePods tell me that it's so nice to be able to like tap your phone to the speaker and have your music take over. I'm like, yeah, I can just ask my speaker to play my music for me. Um, but if you're keen to find out more about the Apple HomePod, I think some of the things we like about it, the sound quality is good. You've got like good Siri uh, responsiveness. The design is familiar and clean. There's more smart home abilities now, which means I think this is like a better uh, com competitor for the Echo and like the Nest speaker devices. Now, uh, some things that the that Billy didn't like are that he believes the audio tends to overemphasize voice. Um, maybe another way to say a lack of bass boost, perhaps. There's no Bluetooth streaming or audio inputs, which to me is a big downside. I'm like, oh, you can't just use these as Bluetooth speakers. You have to use an iPhone. You have to airplay things. Um, there's also a feature called sound recognition that's still not live with this release. And if you want good sound, if you want balance or bassier or just better sound, you'll need to buy two HomePods. That's a $600 investment. So, I mean, if you're super into the Apple ecosystem, this sounds like something that you might want to check out. But I think for Sam and I, we're both like not super into the apple ecosystem at least not that way right sam yeah i mean m most just just for me because like you know i use android as my main you know main phones at home it doesn't you know the the interoperability isn't quite there as much with you know between my devices and like a home pod but i mean i, I like the fact that you know a apple's like as far as like the smart home ecosystem it's not as fully fleshed out as some of the other ones so i really mm -hmm. like that they're adding like hey there's a temperature sen uh, sensor and a humidity sensor to make it more of like a you know a smart home hub in turn on top of being just a good speaker all around and so i i really like that um i think everyone's you know the industry is starting to shift it's like no one wants just like a dedicated smart home hub um, they, it's gotta be, it's gotta be able to do something else. Cause you don't just want one more box sitting in your living room. Um, and so I like, you know, I like the fact that, you know, it has more, uh, automation, uh, automations, you can, you know, like, you can get more information on like your schedule or like, you know, weather reports and stuff like that. And so, you know, it, it's nice to have, you know, more control over, you know, your smart home and just like have more information available to you on, you know, what is essentially the same looking device. Um, Yeah. And also Tom Rogers in the chat points out a very good point. Uh, HomePod is too expensive for what you get. It's too restricted to Apple Music, which is another thing I forgot to mention. I, I'm sure there's compatibility with other services, but like Apple Music is the, you have to have Apple Music to really uh, get the best experience there. Uh, DeepRow9 under chat also said this is great for Apple heads, which is the same thing. So another uh, Super K, I believe in our chat points out that they can't pair the original HomePods with the new one. Imagine you already have an original HomePods and we're think thinking like you can have stereo quality with two of them. You can't pair them? I'm sorry. I have to like look into this to be to know for sure because I don't know right now if that's the case. That's, Maybe, that, that's super know. annoying if that's true. That is wild if that's true, right? Because, I mean, I guess it makes sense because they technically did discontinue the older model. So they might have killed support. Right. And and I think, you know, they want to make sure that like the stereo, the audio stereo is like very balanced. And if you have two different speakers, that might be very difficult to do. But it's still really yeah. frustrating. That said, one feature that I've always been jealous about for the HomePods that's not available on the Nest speakers is that you can use them as like uh, 
speakers for movies if you're watching like stuff in, uh, on Apple TV. And that was a feature that was rumored for the Nest audio speakers and then never actually came out as far as I know. Um, and so I wish that I could use my Nest speakers as like my general like TV speakers um, to like yeah. work as part of like my sound system. Uh, unfortunately, that's not quite available. For all the details on what Billy thought of the new Apple HomePods, head on over to Engadget.com. Uh, I see a question in the chat. Uh, Hamad asks what speakers we like. Uh, I personally have the Nest Audio. I have a pair of Nest Audio devices. I also have uh, an Echo second generation just kind of lingering around. Um, I've yet to be wowed by them. I think smart speakers are a very uh, fragmented or, or still a kind of a finicky space um, because... Sometimes I, I, if you have multiple in one room, that's where everything gets screwed up. If you like one will hear you from another room and start playing music in the wrong place. And it's just all very frustrating. Um, I, yeah, uh, I think if you are going for sound quality, there's a lot of other brands out there that will serve you better. I think uh, Julio, our live stream producer mentioned JBL. I know Sam, you also use a pair of Nest Audio. So maybe one day we will do a smart home specific episode. That'll be fun. Mm -hmm. In other news this week, uh, well, it's earnings season. We are hearing a lot about how companies did, which is important because why? They're all laying off people to save money, I guess. Like, okay, this week we learned that Rivian, that electric vehicle company, is laying off another 6% of its workforce. We also heard that PayPal and EV startup Arrival are also laying off people. So... We we I mean we've been hearing this for a bit now. It's it's a, the latest in a string of news about layoffs in tech. I don't think any of these are as vast in terms of the error impact as Meta or maybe Google. Um, but still not great to hear, especially not since we've been hearing that the labor market is is as troubled as it is. Sam, what are your thoughts so far? I think this is just like a, been a bad year for tech companies and tech stocks in general, and so this probably isn't a surprise and it is depressing to see you know Rivian have another round of layoffs so soon after um you know their previous one uh that said like you know it, it's hopefully things are looking up <clears throat> I mean if you if you look at the market in general like laptop sales are are down big uh GPU sales are down big and so you know a lot of companies are trying to you know cut costs the, you know like we've mm -hmm. said before it's just frustrating because you know, a lot of these companies did record hires during the pandemic, and they kind of maybe did it in a not extremely ex uh, responsible way, where you know they maybe overhired during the pandemic, and now they're having to cut jobs. When if they had been a little bit more reasonable and like not spiked as much during the pandemic, maybe they wouldn't have to do layoffs now. Um, and it's right. You, it, it's just like sad to see that like you know ultimately it's the employees of these companies that are getting jerked around and that's you know that's just not a good feeling i i mean it, it's maybe i don't know if this is like because of all the layoffs that are going on but like as i think about companies that now are hiring people i'm just like oh have you thought about you know what's going to happen to this job two years down the road like i get a little nervous now when i see people are hiring because what where's the job security in this space um but hey speaking of meta just now uh earnings season like i said is uh is hot and heavy right now and meta announces earnings yesterday is a uh, fourth quarter of 2022 uh, earnings results and it's it's still growing it's, it's still doing it's still making a ton of money it's still you know clocking and netting users like crazy mark zuckerberg uh during the during its earnings call said that it is kind of restructuring and that uh you know we know right more than eleven thousand jobs were eliminated uh, but in a statement, Zuckerberg said, our management theme for 2023 is the year of efficiency. You know, you know, you know, efficiency is subtext for something else. It's for like squeezing the most out of your workers. I don't know if that's necessarily what they're going to do, but I don't I don't have a lot of hope. I mean, at some in some level, they had to do something because a lot of people were worried that like, Mark Zuckerberg's like deep dive into the metaverse is going to kill off the rest of the business. And it's like, well, that's just kind of, you know, Facebook is a huge part of the business. You know, the meta meta reality lab stuff is still like a pretty small. Yeah, it sucks up, you know, a decent amount of R&D money. But like, you know, relatively to the rest of the business, it's not a huge as as you might think based on headlines and news. And so it's like, you know, I think this is a good way to like, you know, revisit and like, you know, see like, oh, here's how the company is doing as a whole rather than like mm -hmm. what you think based on, you know, oh, how many MetaQuest Pros uh, ha has the company been able to sell 
you know, that's not really yeah. indicative of, of company health. And I mean, if you think about it, it's, what do people think of as company health, right? I, if you look at the fact that Meta's revenue has actually shrunk over the last year, it's actually down 4% uh, from last year, it still made... $32.2 billion in revenue for the last quarter of 2022. So if, to me, making $32 billion, let's say, okay, this is revenue, not profit, whatever. Still a lot of money. Give me a, give me 1 million. I'm not even asking for a B. <laughs> give me a million. Sherlin, Sherlin, now you're just trying to find ways to retire, okay? I, I've been trying to, yeah, for a long time. I'm like, I'll run my own business. But like, why are we so focused on growth? I don't know. Is this capitalism? Whatever. I'm, whatever. Sure. Uh, I'm, all I'm saying is, yes, on some level, it looks bad. Uh, Meta's performance may look pretty bad, but I, you know, they'll be fine. And part of the cost-cutting measures, which involved, like, reducing or laying off people, um, you know, I don't know how necessary it was. I also think we should be aware that stuff, the tech industry can change on a dime. So, there you go. Uh, some... Other news, speaking of uh, the tech industry changing, we've got ChatGPT, everybody's favorite AI, everyone's favorite bot, I guess. Uh, it's now going to cost $20 a month to use. Sam, have you used uh, ChatGPT? Uh, a little bit. Um, so it's always funny because people compare ChatGPT as like having the writing skills of like a, a senior in high school. And so yeah. it's always interesting to see, you know, that comparison and see how that comes out. You know, I, I think importantly, um, the the Chat GPT, the Open AI, which is you know they created Chat GPT. Um, there's still going to be a free tier, but they're adding a pay yeah. tier in order to be able to fund. Because you know, it, based off the, you know the last few weeks, people have been like trying to do everything with it. Like you know, I've known some people like, oh, they tried to like have Chat GPT like write a smartphone review for them to see how different it would be compared to you know what they would actually do. Um, Everyone's trying to find like a a reason to like leverage ChatGPT in their daily lives because like oh it's the promise of like oh it can save you time and energy um which I guess theoretically it can um you just got to be able to like spend a lot of time like fact checking it and stuff um so which like does it double your work I don't know yeah yeah so I mean it makes sense there's been like a whole huge AI rush to all these sort of you know not just ChatGPT but like. AI art and stuff like that. So I, I get it. Um, you know, they're they're a company that got to pay for expenses. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the company that we were just talking about, Meta, also, like Zuckerberg also mentioned uh, generative AI in his uh, statement on the earnings. So well, there you go. Um, so the the paid version of chat gpt will basically grant you a general access to the bot the chat bot even during peak times you'll get faster response times from chat gpt along with priority access to upgrades and new features and this just funds the research so as much as we we're all a little hesitant and cautious about ai i think i think ample research is necessary to see kind of exactly where we can go and hopefully they're doing this in an ethical way where they're you know being careful about what they do with the chatbot. Sam, tell me about Star Wars Jedi Survivor because it's more your thing. It's it's getting delayed. Uh, it's only getting delayed by six weeks to April 28th. But, you know, I think a lot of yeah. people are looking forward to this game. Um, you know, it's that, you know, one of the big single player, you know, Star Wars games. You know, it's not quite, you know, Knights uh, Kotar like from back in the day, which is, I think, like kind of the, the standard, like, flagship for like what you want a good like single player star wars rpg to be but i think the the big loser actually in this is the fact that because of there's that new um release date it's gonna fall on the same release date as dead island 2 which is another game that has been delayed for a long time right and so maybe like that will cannibalize some of the sales um it always sucks because like usually you know for a big ish game you want you know you don't want anyone to like come steal your your thunder but now Star Wars Jedi Survivor and Dead Island 2 are going to be coming out on the same day. Um, so we'll see, I guess, which one comes out on top. I mean, it's what what type of game, like, what platform is that available on? Uh, Jedi Survivor? Um, it should be available on all the big big platforms, Xbox, uh, P- PlayStation, PC. Okay. I mean, again, it's not something I'm super excited for. I don't really mind. Uh, another thing is, that's disappointing to some... Uh, gamers, Apex Legends Mobile is shutting down after less than a year. Uh, have you ever played this game, Sam? I I used to. I is as far as like uh, battle MOBA, not MOBAs, but like um, battle royale uh, FPS games. 
I like Apex Legends. It's like one of my more uh, most played games of that genre. Um, I haven't done a ton in the mobile side just because I don't like touch controls on screens and I, you know, right, I don't, neither. I don't like carrying around like the detachable joysticks to play on my phone. Um, so, uh, it's just, I think it's just kind of funny because it's like, it's getting shut down after less than a year and they didn't exactly say why, you know, their, their official release was kind of nebulous and, um, let me, let me read, uh, what they said. So at Respawn, they said, we aim to provide pro- uh, players with games that are consistently outstanding. Following a strong start, the content pipeline for Apex Legends Mobile has begun to fall short of that bar for quality, quantity, and cadence. It is for this wow. reason, after months of working with our development partner, that we made the mutual decision to sunset our mobile game. So they kind of didn't really say why, but they just couldn't keep up the pace, and you know they couldn't continue to release updates for the game in a way that they felt was... Uh, you know, deserving deserving of the content. Um, is this is this typical for EA to come right out and be as honest as this and really shit on their own stuff like that? I like mean, EA like- has you know has has a history of like having to pull the plug on games um, before or earlier than you might think. There was another game. Um, it was a mech kind of shooting game. I can't remember the name right now. That got shut down not long uh, after launch, and so it's a little sad to see Apex Mobile also get shut down, but. Um, it's, it's a hard business world out there, I guess. And until, you know, until we have more concrete info on why, it's just kind of curious to see, it's like, hey, this was, it was, wasn't out very long and it's already getting shut down. Yeah. Was EA doing any layoffs? Do we know? Did we hear about this? Why does this sound familiar? I um, don't know. It just sounds like maybe the company is a little troubled as well and like can't support or doesn't have the resources to support all the titles. I mean, necessarily I, I, that at some point, it's well. it's you know the, you, you have to do a cost benefit analysis. Like you know, is the amount that we're uh, investing into the game are we getting that back in terms of sales and you know micro tra- microtransactions and whatnot? And they probably made the hard decisions like, hey, there's just not enough people playing the game and it's not going to make us enough money in the long term. So we're going to shut it down. Well, let's move on because that's been a lot of depressing talk. Let's move on to something like a little more lighthearted. Sam, you had something fun for us. Yeah, I just, you know, there was another small trailer for the Super Mario movie. And now we get to hear Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. And it's kind of like the same thing as, uh, you know, the guy who's playing Mario, which is like, not quite like a monkey voice. He's kind of just bo- doing Seth Rogen as Seth Rogen behind Donkey Kong. Um, it's fun, uh-huh. but yeah, I don't know. Are, Am I? Are, are you are you looking forward to the Super Mario Brothers movie, or is this just like something you just don't care about? I don't know. Is this the one that had all that like Chris Pratt drama? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's uh, Chris no. Pratt like <laughs> doing a vague whiff of an Italian accent, but not quite really. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll probably watch it at some point. I I barely I lo- I liked the Sonic the Hedgehog movie if only because Jim Carrey unhinged was pretty freaking awesome. Um, but I'm not big on like game adaptation movies. Yeah, I mean, I think I barely yeah. I, I think the animation looks incredible. I I at least from a visual perspective, it's everything you want from a uh, a Super Mario movie. That said, I'm still not convinced about the casting decisions. Um Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong, Chris Pratt as Mario. I I don't know. Maybe they should have just gotten regular voice actors instead of like big name Hollywood people. But yeah, know, exactly. Where, hey, the talented Charles, voice actors. Or or Charles Martinet, like the original voice of Mario. Um, I guess he's yeah. he wasn't quite up to the task. I don't know. Well, I'm sure we will all watch this with love and hate whenever it comes out. So make sure to stay tuned for all of that. Our our thoughts on that. I'm sure we will talk about it in a later episode of this show. Uh, let's move on now to what we've been working on, Sam. I know you have the Galaxy S23 Ultra in hand. Is there anything else you might be working on? Also working on some uh, reviews in the future for the Razer Edge. Their uh, streaming mobile gaming uh, handheld. And the other edge, the PlayStation DualSense Edge, which is their fancy version of like the Xbox Elite controller. I, I guess you're really living on the edge. And don't, don't are you on don't the? Hurt, no, don't, are you hurt, on don't the, hurt me like this. No. Are you on the? Are you on the edge of glory? No, please. Uh, I've been asked to stop. They are going to kick me off now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. Okay, I'm gonna. Uh, be traveling a little bit for work. Uh, coming soon. Can't, I can't say where say, yet. Huh? 
I can't say where or what for. So y'all just have to like be patient with me. I don't know why people tell me secrets. All I go is tell people that I have secrets and I don't tell the secrets. Well, and actually, this is fun because actually we don't even know what you're going to see. They say this. I don't know. Some unnamed company said, hey, show up at this date. Uh, You know, we want you to come see something and they won't tell they won't tell you what it is until you get there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I, yeah. So, so there you go. Uh, secrets and mysteries. That's my life. Uh, speaking of secrets and mysteries, our ain gadget picks this week. Uh, I would like to tell y'all to go watch Lockwood and Co. on Netflix. Uh, Lockwood and Co. is this British TV series about supernatural. Uh, basically, a, a, a not post-apocalyptic, but like a, a world, a dystopian world where ghosts have become common ghosts are commonplace they're haunting everything everything's haunted now um and adults or or adults don't really know what to do with them i guess like kids are the ones like teenagers kids have sensitivities they have talents that enable them to both see or hear or whatever deal with these uh ghosts um it's something that uh they call the problem that happened in the world to cause all of these ghosts to manifest or whatever. And yeah, this focuses on a an agency uh, made of teenagers who have talents. They go ghost hunting and fighting. It is extremely good for some reason. I don't know why. I just like a good ghost show, right? But this is this has been very interesting to watch. So if you're looking for something new, it doesn't give me Stranger Things vibes, but it, it like kind just like in the way that British TV series are never like as extremely produced as US TV shows can be. I think there's that. If you prefer like a... <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's a nice you, way to say the British TVs don't I have know. the production quality of American shows. No, I this this actually has very good production quality. I just think it feels there's less artifice maybe. I'm not saying Stranger Things was artificial. I just think that there's something a bit different. Okay, right? okay. And I couldn't really... Yeah. So uh, it's not too scary. Sam, maybe you and Monica or your wife can consider watching. <laughs> I don't know. My wife has a very low bar for what she considers scary. <laughs> this is true. Um, oh, oh, can we talk about what she thought was scary really quick? Uh, she thought Parasite was scary. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Parasite was not scary. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't. I, I, I had to watch that on my own because she thought Parasite was scary. Even though it's like there are some shocking scenes. It's not like I don't. It's not something you have nightmares about, I guess. I mean, Julio, uh, are like again, Julio, y'all know who Julio is. Julio says it was disturbing. Disturbing is a better word yes. for it. It wasn't like scary, sure, sure, it was sure. disturbing. Um, and speaking of Korean films, uh, <laughs> my other recommendation this week is not a Korean film, it's a Korean TV show uh, called The Physical 100. This is on Netflix as well. It's basically not not Squid Game, but like kind of a competition reality series of people who go in and push themselves to the physical limit. Uh, my gym family is going crazy for this. We're looking at the tasks, the challenges, and we're all like, I can do that. And so <laughs> we have all, the, I think the first challenge was something like everybody has to hang on the like pull-up bar for as long as you can. And I believe in the show, the, the winner got up to something like 20 or 30 minutes. And the first one to drop out was like a cheerleader who dropped out after 30 seconds. Seconds. Hey, guess who I am? The cheerleader. Yeah, no, I hung on our, I hung on our pull-up bar for about thirty seconds, and I was like, I think I'm good. I think I beat the cheerleader, and I'm good. But I could have hung on for a little bit longer. So anyway, um, if you're interested in watching physical uh, demonstrations of physical feats of strength, this is an interesting one. It's also weirdly well shot for a reality TV series. So uh, go check it out. Sam, what do you have for us? Uh, so this is a movie that I have not yet watched, but you have mm. recommended it to me, said it's good, and it's right up my alley. So I want uh, hopefully this weekend I'm going to watch The Menu, which is the uh, Anya Taylor-Joy movie that kind of uh, kind of pokes fun at the uh, the high-end um, restaurant culture, uh, I guess. Yeah. And uh, as like, you know, I, I kind of don't like saying that I'm a foodie, but like as someone who is like appreciates, you know, a good meal... I'm I'm very up for you know some sat- satire about how ridiculous some of the high end uh, restaurant dining experience have gotten. I can't wait to hear what you think. First of all, I, we also know that you. I mean, I know that you're a great cook. Um, but also, I, I, yeah, it's probably not what you're expecting. And you <laughs> there's also, a lot you of great me, food shots. Yeah, you also told me that they uh, 
they used one of the production companies that is like, known for making really fancy uh, food commercials. Yes. And so, like, yes. all of the shots are, like, a very, like, you know, make, making the meals look as sumptuous as possible. So I think, it, I think it'd be an interesting mix of, like, satire and, like, actually taking things very seriously um, in, in a way. Well, that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Sam online at... At Sam Rutherford on Twitter. And as always, on Engadget.com. Seriously, if you have pictures of great food uh, and you can send them that uh, not during mealtimes, you can hit me up. I am at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. Like, send everything in one message, Matt! Sorry.